Good morning. It's good to be with you guys. Experience the gift uh, that is the church. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 9 that Sarah read for us. I don't have a real uh, catchy or fun intro. We have a lot of work to do. If that text was kind of confusing, you see that we have a lot of work to do today. We're going to just dive right in to Hebrews 9. So I invite you to turn there with me. If you need a Bible, uh, if you don't have one, we have some on that back table. Feel free to go get one. It will be helpful for you to be able to open up the Word today and go to work with us together. So before we get into verses 11 through 22, it's going to be helpful to briefly revisit the text from last week that Grant preached on, which was Hebrews 9, 1 through 10. All right, we see there that the, the earthly holy, pre, holy place was described. The earthly holy place of the Old Covenant. All right, Grant explained last week this setup was part of the Old Covenant that served as a symbol of something better to come, a shadow, a picture, something that was temporary, that pointed to something better. That's what a lot of Hebrews has been, right? We're seeing something from the Old Covenant that points us to something true and better once Jesus ushers in the new covenant. Looking at those 10 verses from last week, we see a high priest who enters into the presence of God once a year. We see something interesting in verse 7. He takes blood in with him because that was his right of entry, which he offers to God for his own sins and for the sins of the people. And then specifically, verses 9 and 10 is going to take us into today. So look at verse 9. It says, According to this arrangement, talking about the Old Covenant rituals, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of Reformation. What this showed us, is that this Day of Atonement ritual was limited in its scope. It was pointing to something much better. We see that this was performed in order to, to somehow connect God and His people through the use of blood. And that blood back then came from an animal. But it was limited in scope, church, because it only affected the outer flesh. It was just a symbol of defilement on the outside. As verse 9 says, these rituals couldn't perfect the conscience of the worshiper on the inside. This, This takes us into verses 11 through 22. Today, Jesus is entering as our perfect high priest. Better than the old covenant high priests. We're going to see him in the role of sacrifice, mediator, and specifically what I want us what I want to happen today, right? I want us to see how his blood not only takes away our sins for eternity, which is a great gift, but I want us to see how his blood also purifies our conscience. Something the old covenant couldn't do. That's our goal for today. It's going to be a lot about the conscience, a lot about blood. If blood makes you a little queasy, I'm with you. I do not do well with blood. A lot of you know that. Okay? It was humbling for me to like read the word blood about 5,000 times this week. And if I pass out, yeah, we have people here to take care of me, I trust. Um, but that's the goal for today. We have to see this true and better blood. 
how it purifies our conscience and what that means for us today. So that, that's where I hope we can go. Will you pray with me here? We need help. Lord, you want your people to be happy. What a good gift it is to serve a God who wants his people to be happy. Lord, may we see how the blood of Christ on the cross leads to inner peace, clear conscience, life. Lord, this is your word. It is not mine, so please, please care for your people today through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Right? If we stop there, we see three big categories already in which Christ's covenant offering for sin is superior to the priestly sacrifices of the Old Covenant. Right? First, he entered once for all where? Into the holy places. This is showing us the place of the offering now was in heaven rather than the earthly tabernacle. All right? The text next week dives into this more, so we're not, we're not going to get too deep into that today. We'll, we'll save that for next week. Uh, Grant will, will shed some light on that. All right, second, it says that the blood secures an eternal redemption. What, what a game changer. This offering of Christ's blood was once and for all instead of being repeated over and over as it was in the Old Covenant. The true and better offering was eternal. All right? We're going to dig in more to that next week as well. But thirdly, the main thing that we're focusing on today is the blood of the offering was Christ's own blood. It was no longer just a symbolic animal, but rather the blood of Jesus Christ, okay? So back to the blood. Into verse 13 we go. It says, For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, the outside, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. How much more will the blood of Christ purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? All right, This is pointing to the superiority of the sacrifice being the blood of Christ that will have a greater effect. All right, The lesser sacrifice was the spotless animals, the pure heifer or bulls or goats. And now we see Christ presenting himself as, no, the true and better sacrifice is going to yield true and better results for God's people, and specifically here referring to a purification of our conscience. All right, so we looked at this last week. We're not going to dig in too much, but the sin offerings presented on the Day of Atonement or at any other time in the Old Covenant law had no effect on the consciences of the people who they were offered on behalf of, right? It was just external. It was symbolic to counteract the defilement of sin. Talk a lot about defilement, uncleanliness, 
All right, in 13 here, we see the author mentioning the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who have been defiled. And this, this is referenced a ritual described back in Numbers 19, talking about removal of ceremonial impurities. And if you want more context on that, you can, I invite you to visit Numbers 19. We're not going to go there today. But the ritual of the red heifer is, met, is mentioned here because like the sacrifices of old, specifically the Day of Atonement, it is a sin offering. That's how that Numbers section ends in verse 9. So thir- verse 13 here in today's text, it references back to that where the blood they used was from a spotless animal. And we see this instituted by God. Sin was to be atoned for with blood. Blood atoned for sin. All right, but how did the blood of Christ as our true and better sacrifice affect our conscience? How do we get there? Well, we see Jesus entering the picture, right? His life and ministry, he comes on the scene, and he starts talking about sin and defilement. And he starts talking about it not being an external problem. He says, no, it's actually from within. Jesus is introducing this new covenant. And he's been challenged. He was challenged by some Pharisees who who knew what was right under the law. They knew exactly what to do. And they said, this is exactly how you have to wash your hands to make sure they're clean. Because then when you touch food, make sure that's clean. Then when it goes in your body, that makes sure the body is clean, not defiled. You have to wash your hands a certain way. The disciples weren't doing that exactly. And so the Pharisees are challenging Jesus. What's going on here? This is when Jesus starts, starts explaining. Even the disciples didn't know. We'll have this up on the screen. From Mark 7, Jesus says, There's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. He's saying here, it's not about the food anymore. Foods are fine now. Sure, there's general wisdom in eating right, but even if you don't, and we know this, when bad stuff goes in, the stomach deals with it, and it, it comes out, right? We've been there. Right? Like, we, like, this is what that's talking about. He's saying that's not a heart issue, though. The body is equipped to deal with that stuff. Let's focus on more important things here. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. Verse 21, For from within, out of the heart of man, you ready for this list? Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, you want to stop at murder there? Like, murder is obviously an external thing, right? This would have been confusing. He's saying, no, no, even if you think those things inside, I wish they were dead. Life would be easier if that person just didn't exist. The thought of that alone is what defiles us. That is sin. It goes on, adultery from the inside. Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Jesus is introducing, he's saying, things which come out of a man are what defile us. 
But in order to understand the gift that is the blood of Christ, we have to understand where sin comes from. We have to understand that it dwells within us. It's rooted in us. Sin is a heart problem. Right? And for us now, living within the new covenant, we're no longer bound by the rules of the old covenant, thankfully. Instead, because it's not just external anymore, we need an inward and spiritual purification now if we want true communion with God. If we want true inner peace. It's an inward and spiritual purification that's required to purify our conscience inside. We now have access, church, to live with a purified conscience. What a good gift. So I want part of today is I want to I want to expose what the conscience is a bit for us so we can see and kind of feel this and how it's playing out today, so that we can see the effect that the blood of Christ has today. Living, active. So the conscience, first off, I want to just say the conscience is a real thing. It's not made up, okay? It is real. It's not a concept that we just see on movies and TV. The entertainment industry didn't create it. The Bible actually speaks of it over 30 times, okay? And not surprisingly, I think all of those but one are in the New Testament. Why do we think that is? Well, because with the new covenant, now the conscience becomes, it becomes a player now. So we see it a lot in the New Testament. This is good news. And definitions, I think because it's internal, definitions, if you just do a broad search, or like what is the conscience, all sorts of definitions. They all kind of point to the same thing. So the one I'm going to use for us today, this is not the biblical definition, I want to be clear, but just, just kind of so we can see and feel what this is a little bit. An inner feeling or voice viewed as a guide to the rightness or wrongness of one's behavior. All right? It's an inner voice. Think of discernment, discerning what's right and wrong. An inner kind of voice, feeling. All right, for a physical illustration of this, maybe you can think to a movie or TV show. I think of a lot of it on, on cartoons where you have someone trying to make a decision and then you see the, the white angelic creature appear on the shoulder. Then you see the red devilish creature appear. And what are they doing? They're both, they're both speaking, right? They're both feeding the conscious. They want you to, they want you to go their way. That's a good picture. I think it's a helpful picture. It doesn't describe the actual conscience at work for believers, but it's a good picture, right? Because what I like about that picture is it shows us the reality that the conscience, even for God's people, is still exposed to the enemy. That's an important thing to understand today, church. I think that'll help free us, actually. If we understand the conscience is a gift and it's still exposed to the enemy, See, for God's people, we see the conscience as a gift because what it can do for God's people, it can bring guilt. God can bring guilt. And the world will tell us that's wrong or bad. Guilt is a gift from God. It's a beautiful gift. For God's people, a guilty conscience can convict us of sin and cause us then to confess or admit to that sin and to turn from it. Turn from that inner darkness 
and turn to God. The conscience is still exposed to the enemy and to sin and to the curse of a sinful world around us. When we think of the biblical origins of the curse, we think of the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve. And after Adam and Eve sin, God curses the ground. And he says, thorns and thistles are heading your way. And for all of mankind who follow, we fall right into that line. Thorns and thistles are headed our way. These thorns represent the cares of the world, things that are anti-God, things of the enemy, wisdom of the world, deceitfulness of riches, desire for money, desire for any other worldly things that don't reflect God's word and the truth that lies within it. And because of sin, there's now been thorns and thistles in every aspect of our lives Our conscience is still exposed to the enemy. All right, but if we move on in our text for today, let's move on into this promise now. We'll see how the covenant is sealed with the same true and better blood, and we'll see what that does. Right? How does the blood of Christ, this true and better sacrifice, affect our conscience? Well, if you remember from Hebrews 8 6, I'm sure you all memorized that when we we preached through it a couple weeks ago, but if you just look back, just in case, Hebrews 8 6 introduces Christ here as mediator. Hebrews 8, 6 says, But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. The covenant he mediates is better. Why? Because it is enacted on better promises. What is this better promise? Well, verses 11 through 14, if you come back to where we are today, 9, 11 through 14, those talked about Christ's blood as the sacrifice. And now 15, 15 through 21, shifts to the more formal agreement. All right, in 15, we're going to see the word covenant. Verse 16, we're going to see the word will. Verse 17, we're going to see the word will. These three verses, covenant, will, and will, they all have the same root word, the same origin. But the difference is the one in 15 refers to a spiritual promise. Whereas 16 and 17 are referring to a legal promise. All right, so look at verse 15. It says, therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. The death that occurred was the death of Christ on the cross. His blood poured out. The better promise that's promised to God's people now is the eternal inheritance. Jesus mediates this new covenant now once and for all. Right? Christ enters the presence of God in heaven with his own blood, not needing it to save himself like the high priests of old did, but once and for all, giving eternal life to those who are called. It says here in verse 15, 
Those who are called receive this. Who are those who are called? This is talking about God's people. Specifically, God's people whom he called. He initiated an action. And then the people responded through faith. And what faith means is when you respond to that, you're acknowledging, I don't see this completely. This isn't right in front of me, so I have full understanding. I actually have to have faith, believe in something that I can't fully see. That's part of what faith is. Those who are called, those who have acknowledged their sin and have acknowledged their need for a Savior and have admitted that they're guilty of sin. But in their hope, they look to the blood of Christ as their saving hope for eternal life, the eternal inheritance. God's people are those who have admitted that their conscience is guilty because of the sin that lives within us. What I believe today is that God is calling some of you. This isn't a uh, cliche preacher type situation right now. I believe that God is calling some of you today. I believe everyone in here is not part of this eternal inheritance yet. All right? So for you, if God is calling you today, if you're starting to feel some things inside, maybe you're starting to be aware of things, you're starting to have some questions, maybe things are feeling a little different, you don't really know what's going on, God may be calling you today. This may be part of the process. Let's let his word speak into this. I believe God wants you to know that through his word, you're not alone. The enemy wants you to think you're alone. They want to isolate you. He would love to speak into your ear and make you feel like the stuff inside is so bad. Keep it in there. That's what he wants you to do. Keep isolated. God wants you to know through his word that you're not alone. He wants you to know that after the sin of Adam and Eve, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That puts us all on the same level. You're not alone dealing with the junk. We all have dealt with it. Some have acknowledged the need for a Savior. Some are still in denial of that. He wants you to know the price for that sin is eternal death. Separation from him. But he wants you to see here through his word that Jesus served as a substitute. He willingly died on the cross. His blood shed. All right, so a death still occurred, but instead of it being our blood poured out, it's his blood poured out for us. What a good savior. If we don't understand our sin, though, the blood of the cross, the blood of Christ, is not much different from the blood of bulls and goats. It's just something that happened years ago. And we look to it, yeah, that happened. I kind of believe that. If you don't know your sin and acknowledge the darkness, 
You don't really need it. It'll be stale. I want us to see today. I think God wants us to see through his word. This blood on the cross is true and better because it's active and effectual for us today. He invites you today to confess your sin. Acknowledge your need for the blood of Christ. When you do that, your conscience will be purified. You can walk with God in the light. Darkness will be exposed. When darkness is exposed, there's light. That's where God is in the light. 1 John 1, 7-9 says, But if we walk in the light, as He, God, is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Others who are walking in the light. And the blood of Jesus' Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How does He cleanse us? How does He purify our hearts and conscience internally? With the blood of Christ. This is God's plan, God's will that he put into motion for those who are called. If we look back to our text here, verse 16, For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Right? This is a will similar to how we understand it today. This is one of the few things in this text you can read and be like, oh, yeah, I kind of get that, right? That's one of, the, one of the few things, at least for me, my simple mind. But this is like a, a legal will. All right, what happens if you create a will with any sort of inheritance? It only goes into effect when? When you die, right? If I knew I was going to die in exactly 30 years, knowing me, I'd create a bunch of wills for all of you guys. Give you whatever you want, billions of dollars, islands, jets. Then in about 29-ish years, I'd cancel them all, right? Because it doesn't mean anything. It does not mean anything if the testator of the will, the one who creates the will, is still alive. It doesn't, none of that inheritance goes into effect. Verses 18 through 21 here are also, they're referencing the account of the Mosaic covenant between God and man. They refer to this covenant being sealed and activated by blood as well. All right, this is another Old Testament reference. Exodus 24 would be a good place to to visit. We're not going to go there together. If you want to dig into the origins of the blood sealing the Mosaic covenant, that's where you can go. But that was put into a place, that was put into place, officially activated by the blood of dead animals. Okay, This new covenant blood of Christ is not only the sacrifice, it also served as the seal. Put the new covenant in motion. The death of Christ activated now this will. So Jesus, as the mediator, putting this new covenant plan into action, he ransoms himself as the true and better sacrifice with his blood, the true and better blood, His death on the cross. And that now, if you picture a table, two parties of God's over here and mankind is over here, the problem at the table is the sin of mankind. Jesus sits at the center of mediator, puts his death on the cross in the middle, and bam, we have reconciliation between the parties. 
What a beautiful picture. Affirming, fulfilling the prophecy, or the, the words of God in Jeremiah 31, 34. God says, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Mm. That's a purified conscience, church. Washed clean internally, not by our own works, but by the blood of Christ, the true and better blood. The writer's point is that Christ's death activated his incredibly rich will. Paul mentions this in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. It says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, for our sake, church, he became poor. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. That's the eternal inheritance. Hebrews 6.17 calls God's people the heirs of the promise. Remember in verse 15, the better promise for the new covenant. What was it? An internal inheritance. Christ's death activated this, inter- this eternal inheritance for the heirs of the promise, for those who have been called. So we're getting some clarity now on our repeating question. How does the blood of Christ as our true and better sacrifice affect our conscience? Because God's people get to enjoy him today. It's not just eternal life after we die. It's definitely also that, which is amazing, right? We don't have to wait for that, though, for access. Yes, that's when we'll have sin no more. We won't be tempted. That, it's, that's a beautiful day. But now we have access. And how do we have access? Through God, the Holy Spirit, living inside of us. Right? Our conscience is inside of us. The Holy Spirit is inside of us. John the Baptist came preparing the way for Jesus. From Mark 1, 8, John the Baptist says, I have baptized you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay, baptism symbolically represents being purified on the inside with the blood of Christ. We don't baptize in real blood. I think there's laws. I don't know. There's, it doesn't feel right. It's probably illegal or something. We don't do that. He instituted baptism with water as a symbol of what happens on the inside of us. Baptism in and of itself doesn't save anybody. It's supposed to just represent, be a picture of interchange. Represent that the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. Then we baptize you publicly to celebrate welcoming you into the family of God. This is why we want to be slow to baptize here. We don't want to bring false security to anybody. We don't want you to think that that kind of makes you better. No, no, no. That should represent the reality that you've dealt with sin, wrestled through some stuff. Salvation's worked out how? Through fear and trembling. You need to go through some stuff internally. Then you recognize a need for the blood And then it all makes sense, and you're free, and we baptize you to represent that. We celebrate. So God, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside of us now. We can enjoy a clear, purified conscience, true inner peace. The world wants to offer you inner peace. They want to talk about your soul and all these things. But church, any sort of inner peace, any sort of purified heart, conscience, soul, mind, 
is impossible apart from his death. It's impossible apart from his true and better blood. See, the reconciliation now means that God sees us through the blood of Christ. All right? Not because of anything we've done. Let's be clear. Not our blood. Not because of what we've done. Not how polite we are. Not how good we are. When I was younger, I could play the game just like, just like, as well as anyone. I knew the right things to say. I had enough church experience. I could say the right churchy things when I needed to. I could say the right things to the teachers when I needed to, to my parents. Externally, I could get through. I could fake it. And that's a charge and a gentle reminder to parents, right? We got to focus on the heart, right? Discipline. We got to have discipline training, absolutely. If we get those out of order, though, it's going to lead to potentially bad things. The good news, parents, if we focus on the hearts of our kids, out of that, the external stuff will fall right into place, right? So, so th- th- there's hope still, but focus on the hearts. So we're now connected with God in ways that people in the Old Covenant weren't. Because of the blood of Christ, the Holy Spirit now lives inside of God's people, helping God's people live and act out of a pure heart and clear conscience. God's people now have the ability, not because of our own doing, but because of Him inside of us, God's people now have the ability to walk in the Spirit, live according to the Spirit, which will produce spiritual fruit and reflect the character of Jesus. Remember back to verse 9? Gifts and, offer- and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. You remember that? Do you see the difference? They didn't have access. Remember verse 14? Look back to 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, what? Purify our conscience from what? Dead works to serve the living God. With this access to the Holy Spirit inside of us now, We have access to living works. Fruits of the Spirit can flow out of us. No longer dead works. So how does the blood of Christ as the true and better sacrifice affect our conscience? The blood of Christ activates the new covenant promises, which means that for those who are called, the gift of the Holy Spirit dwells inside of us. And now He can directly inform our consciences and activate the truth found where? In his word. Church, the enemy does not want us to know these things. If you've been a follower of Christ for years, the enemy does not want you to be reminded of these things today. The serpent is crafty. Remember, he's still able to speak to us. He still has some access. Not eternal access, 
to God's people, but he still has access. I want to help expose the reality of what goes on with our conscience and what it's exposed to in hopes that some of us can be set free just by this understanding, just maybe even a reminder. See, when the conscience, as our inner voice, when it's rightly informed by God's Word, and received with a humble heart, knowing we don't bring anything to the table, the Holy Spirit works through the conscience to help people act wisely and freely. The concern, though, church, is when wrongly informed by voices, it leads to inner turmoil, inner wrestling, tension, and sin flows out of that. These thorns and thistles that surround us now can be enticing. All right, we're, we're easily led astray. Bear with me on this if you would. I, I just want you to consider some things. I believe that the enemy is pleased that we're giving him access so easily. That we're giving so many voices access to our conscience. The entertainment industry is dominating our consciences. TV binging and movie binging, they make impressions on us. But even those, I think we can kind of separate a little bit as just being entertainment. It's kind of fake. Sure, they can, they can be negative. But I'm more concerned about the reality of social media and news. Sometimes that's the same thing and just how many different voices this adds. You know, we say the serpent is crafty, and it's like, anymore, I think he's just gotten lazy. With social media, what do we have all over? We have influencers now. Like, just the word influencer, what's the goal there? Like, they want to influence you. Like, that's just lazy, enemy. It's like, that's not even creative. And I think what he's saying is, it's so easy, I don't need to be creative anymore. I'll just lay it out there. All the access I have to people's consciences, I'm just going to straight up call it influencer now. It's that easy. People are taking their own lives, though, because they're letting all this stuff in, right? The constant scroll, the constant scroll, less of this, more of the scroll. What it forces you to do, you see thing after thing after thing after thing. You have to make quick judgment after quick judgment. Like, there's no way to not have an opinion about something that you see. So we're taking all this stuff in, all this stuff in. All of a sudden, we forget what this says about something like beauty. What does it mean to be beautiful? All of a sudden, we see that here. And we think, oh, no, I'm not this. Oh, this person gets all this attention. That that means I'm going to have to do this, this, and this. Oh, I have to do all these things just to be... We forget... When rightly informed here, beauty, beauty, no pun intended, is a beautiful thing. flows from the inside out, right? We don't have to go striving after all this stuff that the world wants us to in the name of beauty. In fact, if we dig in here about beauty, this even says, whoa, don't go too out of, out of line in trying to make yourself look these ways. That actually caused people to stumble. Understand what beauty is but we stray 
from this affecting our conscience. We fill it with noise, the world, the thorns. News, news, I believe, is not even, for the most part, it's no longer just news. It's no longer just here's what happened. What's happening now, these voices, they tell you how to think about what happened. Right? I'm concerned here. I'm not speaking down to you. I just, I love you. I care about you. I'm concerned that you're letting some voices in and it's shifting a little bit. It's shifting that discernment because instead of living here, filtering everything here, you're letting them speak in and you're just kind of going where they want you to go. All right? And to, to know if social media or if news or any other things like this are affecting you, do this, do this with me real quick. Will you just self-evaluate real quick? When you take in these sources and these voices, how does it make you feel on the inside? Will you just, will you just consider that with me? I believe when you take a lot of this in, it makes you feel good, accepted, not alone, not isolated. The pressure of the world is kind of lifted when you, when you take a lot of this in. When you do life with a lot of people that are taking this in, we gather in situations like this and we actually feel good. Church, that's weird to some people. That's weird to some people. But we know, we know that because we bring nothing to the table, we come humbly with him as the source, him as the focus, not scrolling with us as the focus, posting pictures of us as the focus, him as the focus, sets us free. But if you evaluate when you take in the voices that are in your life that you let in, how does it make you feel inside? Do you feel darkness? Do you feel anger? Do you feel hatred sometimes? That should be a sign. The enemy would love for voices to infiltrate your conscience. And you know what he wants you to think? He would love for you to think that your enemy is another human, not him. He'd love for you to think the enemy is another group of humans, not him. Mankind is a race, though. We're all one race. And those who don't know this truth yet, we are told how to treat outsiders. And it is not with hate. It is with love that flows from here through us and out. That's how the outsider or the unbeliever is to be dealt with lovingly. The enemy wants you to hate them, though, and not him. So if you're letting voices in that are shifting, moving your conscience and your actions, you're getting choked out a little bit by the thorns. I invite you to turn and repent before it's too late. Because truly, I just want you to be happy. Truly, I think God wants you to be happy too. In the parable of the sower, Jesus talks about seeds being sown and falling in different places. We see the seeds being sown represent God's word. And there's four places. They're sown on the path, the rocky ground, 
among thorns, and then the good soil. All right, the seed represents God's words, God's word. Jesus goes on to explain what they mean when they're sown in these different places. We'll have it on the screen from Mark 4. And these are the ones among the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Church, Satan still has access. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves but endure for a while. Then, when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. This is the one that kind of looks good for a while. They might even claim Jesus. They might get excited at a, at a youth group event or even a church service. They might think everything's good, but when tested, they fall away, which proves that they never fully dealt with the internal sin. 18, and others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Dead works. Then the good news, but those who were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it through faith and bear fruit out of the heart, spiritual fruit. And I believe right now all of this intake is just crushing us when we let things in so easily. Because I don't think we're designed to take that much in. I think that's part of the problem. We're just consume, consume, consume. It's a problem. But I want to speak and take another angle here at the conscience. And this is one where I, I, I ask us out of love to sit with one another here in some heaviness. Because it's not just all this consuming that leads to a broken conscience or hurt conscience or confused conscience or heavy conscience. I realize that there's another category that I want to expose today where your conscience may be dealing with something from your past. Wounds from your past, hurt, pain, abuse. Are the voices of the enemy taunting you? Is that real for you right now? Are you hearing voices? You think you're crazy sometimes. I want to expose that together. Let's sit in this for a minute. And bear with one another. Can you relate to the psalmist in Psalm 102? We'll have that up here. Psalm 102, parts of it, it's describing this. It says, For my days pass away like smoke. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. I lie awake. Can anyone feel that today? I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop all the days my enemies taunt me. 
Is this a reality for any of you today? I want us to just sit here for a minute. Acknowledge that and say you're not alone. The enemy loves to isolate us because that's when we're the most vulnerable. Can you feel that? I'm like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. I think some of you say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But not only that, I, I, I'm that, but, but it's also you got to add some rain and some thunder and lightning, right? That's what it feels like sometimes. You're not alone. The enemy wants you to think you're alone, though, because that's when you're most vulnerable. In the Garden of Eden, the enemy targeted Eve when? Not when she was with Adam, when she was alone. And he started speaking. She let him in. She entertained it. She reasoned with him. And then her actions would affect the rest of humanity. If the enemy is taunting you today in this season of life, God wants to, God wants to remind you that you're not alone. That's what his word tells us. Part of this eternal inheritance that God's people get to enjoy now is the church. By definition, a group of people. A group of people who acknowledge their sin, who acknowledge their Savior, who gather together regularly to continue to fight the enemy together, to remind one another of the power of the blood of Christ. You're not alone, church. You're not alone if you're feeling this, if your conscience is being affected, if you're feeling inner turmoil. You're not alone for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You may look around and say, yeah, but no one knows this thing that I did. The enemy wants you to keep it right there. But church, people, expose it. We're here for you. That's, that's part of our role, to bear these burdens. No sin, no sin should shock us so much because we all come from the same place. What a joy it is to combat, combat this sin together. I'll invite the musicians back up here as I talk about one of my favorite songs that we sing together. It's called My Surety. We're going to sing it later in a little bit, but one of the reasons I like this song so much is that whenever I sing it, I feel the real weight and application of this idea of the enemy still having access to us. In the song it says, Still speaks that serpent in my ear. You shall be mine, for you will stray. That's a reality. That's why I like it. It's a reality that sin still exists. The serpent is still out to attack, trying to speak in to what's going on. But then I feel the, the incredible power of the blood of Christ. As we then sing the next line that we're guarded by faith for the final day. Not because of us, but by Christ as our surety. We look to the blood of Christ as our deliverance. We have to remember our sin, the thorns. We have to remember, if you need a visual to try to remember the weight and reality of your sin... In the blood of Christ, 
and how it's living and active, here's a connection to consider. All right, if you think about the crown that our King Jesus wore, it was a crown of what? Thorns. And that's a helpful symbol, I think, that God's giving us. Thorns were a symbol and picture of the results of sin. He willingly took a crown of thorns. He took the curse of sin upon his head, triumphed over it, transforming the crown of thorns and the picture of sin into a sign of victory over sin. The enemy and his associates, wisdom of the world, they try to promise us inner peace, a clean conscience. But the thing that they lack, that they don't want you to know, is they lack the power to overcome the thorns and thistles. The only way to the true kingdom of God is through the blood. King Jesus was given a crown made of thorns, which was meant to mock him. But now we can see a symbol of our sin directly on his head. And when the thorns pierced his skin, what came out? Blood. If you're struggling to connect your sin to the blood of Christ, if it seems stale or no different from the blood of goats and bulls and heifers, remember the direct link to your sin and the blood of Christ. Church, we will stray still. But together we say, yes, but the blood of Christ washes away that sin. Still speaks the serpent in my ear. Two things. You shall be mine, for you will stray. In that line, the serpent is half right. We will stray. But not because he says so. Because the word of God says so. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even once the permanent stain of sin is cleansed by his blood... Sin still shows up in our lives, but now the true and better blood, right, brings the Holy Spirit. It'll lovingly convict that sin. It'll convict our conscience. We can turn from it and enjoy this purified conscience. The serpent in that line is wrong about the first part. We shall not be his. Our identity has already been taken by our true and better king who wears our sin as a crown on his head who tramples the serpent with his own blood. So church, let's cling tightly to the true and better blood of Christ because verse 22 in our text concludes, without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Let's pray.